0: are listening to The Magnet Podcast.
1: Uh, welcome. You're listening to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm Louis Cornfeld. Today I'm talking with the great Ilana Fishpine. Ilana, Hi. Thanks for talking.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. It's a great pleasure. Um, so for anyone listening to this, who's come around the theater in New York, you know Alana from Featherweight and from Kiss Punch Poem and the Armando Diaz experience, but you've also been on the road quite a bit for the last few months.
2: Yeah. I've done a, a bit of traveling this year. It's been really exciting. Yeah. I've, um, been able to go to, uh, a bunch of festivals, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I, I yeah, I was in Edmonton at the end of June at um, Improvaganza, mm-hmm. hosted by Rapid Fire Theatre Company, and that was amazing. It's such a great festival there. Um, Canada is great in the summer. Yeah. And um, this year I've also been uh, in Omaha, Chicago, Philly, and uh, back in December I was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I'm going back there this December. Uh I think I've probably been a couple other places. I can't remember. But Boston.
1: Yeah. Is this the most traveling you've done in that, in that short of time in that like bulk of cities?
2: Yeah. It's been, um, it's been a great year of, of traveling. I, I s- decided that I really needed to kind of get out there and, uh, not just, not just do stuff at the magnet where I was like really comfortable. Yeah. So I decided that I, I wanted to get to more festivals and stuff and just see what else was going on. And, yeah in the improv scenes beyond, I think that's really important because you can get really uh, comfortable where you are and you can start to think that like, there's only one kind of improv. Right. And I feel like traveling has kind of opened my eyes to what other stuff is out there and how different people are playing.
1: Yeah. Anything in particular stand out to you that kind of um, jostled your thinking on it?
2: Yeah. When I was in Edmonton, I, Fell in love with two groups, Sunday Service. They're from Vancouver, and they're wonderful. I mean, I'm not. This isn't anything new. Yeah. <laughs> if you're if you if you're anywhere in Canada, you know Sunday Service. Uh, but they've been everywhere, and also um, Dad's Garage. Mm-hmm. They're uh, from Atlanta. There were just three guys up in Edmonton: um, uh, Tom, Ed, and Ruben, <laughs> uh, and they. The three of them just played really fast and fun and were kind of just on each other. Mm-hmm. And and the thing about both of those groups that I really liked is um, this just fast play, a real attack, and a real sense of accountability for whatever anyone said. Like, nothing was dropped, nothing was ignored, and I really appreciated that. And I... Um, so that's kind of what I'm into right now. I kind of like that.
1: That's a really awesome word, accountability. I like that. Yeah. Because, like, <laughs> I mean, that could be taken, uh, uh, you know, a couple of different ways. But, I like, there's something that I like about that sense of, It's not
2: just for politicians. Exactly.
1: Uh, um, or deadbeat dads. Yeah. Uh, um, the thing of, like... Ownership on stage that that like one of the things that's an outstanding feature of really great groups is that sense that once something's been created and it's out in the space, whoever said it and whoever did it, it becomes the mutual property of everybody. Yeah, I'm
2: I'm really into that idea of shared ownership. Yeah. That's why I think um, openings are really important and cool. Yeah. Um, uh, they're not always that great. But um, the idea that we're all going to um, take this suggestion, explode it. And then we're going to borrow each other's ideas yeah. and, and pull from each other. And that we all kind of like share that exploration of ideas. Yeah. The beginning.
1: It's interesting. interesting that you bring up openings. Cause that's something, um, um, I a lot of groups will sort of veer away from openings after the first month that they're together. And, you know, like, um, uh, I'm I, The group that I play with, the boss, we were probably one of the first teams that sort of started doing that.
2: You guys did an opening a uh, bunch of years ago that I really loved.
1: Which was The, um,
2: the boss in bed opening. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where you, you'd all pretend you were in bed together and just like having pid- pillow talk yeah. and talking. Yeah. I really like that.
1: Uh, I have fun with that, too that's like part of our conversation with each other every three months or so is whether or not we want to do that again. And we're like almost exactly evenly split on who wants to try it.
2: And that sounds like the boss. Yeah,
1: that's about right. Uh, um, what, what do you think like people could do to make their opening stronger and better? And because uh, for me, like what I notice is just sort of like a lack of passion for it or people want to sort of like, well,
2: that's the worst is, you know, uh, the, your show has to be strong from the beginning. Yeah. Um, You know, you can't get on stage and mess around for two minutes dispassionately and do the show. I mean, then you're setting yourself on the wrong track. I I don't think that groups have to do an opening. But if you do, I think it needs to be um, uh, packed with energy, uh, commitment, uh, you know, uh, like a fierceness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you. it needs to be idea-generating. Um it can't be dilly-dallying. Right, yeah. <laughs> These are like w- w- weird things to say, but uh and I-, I think what's really important in the opening is that once you do the piece, you're taking ideas that other people generated. So you're not just using the ideas that you generated. It's a way of honoring each other. And in that way, I think you look funnier. Yeah. Uh, if you take someone else's idea,
1: uh, you do. And also there's something, it feels great when somebody uses your idea on stage. Um, it it just like immediately you warm up to each other and there's that sort of like unspoken sense of recognition of just like, I don't know, you feel honored a little bit that somebody cared enough to pay attention to what you created and make use of it.
2: And the audience sees that Yeah, and they see, uh, they recognize when someone is a generous player like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think anyone likes a player that's just patting themselves on the back.
1: Yeah. So let's go back to travel for a second. Sure. Um, uh, this is probably a weird question, but um, what did you sort of like learn about yourself uh, on the road? Cause like, I, I, I know that feeling of like, all right, I'm kind of playing for, for a really appreciative audience, but it's also people who kind of know me and it's like, how much are they really connecting with what I'm doing versus how much do they just kind of like, like me as a dude?
2: Well, one thing that I've kind of noticed, um, especially since I've been traveling a lot with Pepita, which Mm -hmm. is my solo improv show, um, and that show is all about sort of connecting with the audience and direct address to the audience. I'm speaking to the audience. and I Can, I've can found... you
1: describe uh, uh, Pita yes. to anybody who hasn't seen it?
2: Yeah, and then I'll get back to that question. Yeah. Um, so Pepita is um, is a character. Um, she has a great personality, and uh, she's really friendly and outgoing, um, but she's not without her, her flaws. And um, the uh, the conceit of the show is that she is putting on an improv show Based on things, real things that have happened in her life. And um, of course, uh, you know, I am playing this character, Pepita, from start to finish. Like she intros the show, does the show, outros the show. Um, And uh, so I'll get a suggestion and then um, uh, kind of monologue as Pepita. And then the show can kind of be very. very freeform. Uh, she uh, plays all of the characters, so it's she's playing herself. Uh, but she also she plays all of the characters um, through her own lens. So the whole show is very biased. <laughs> so it's all um, it's all like her version of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like I said, there's a lot of a direct address to the audience. So she kind of will break out a lot and just speak directly to the audience. And a lot of it is sort of presentational but some of it can be sort of slower patient scenes. But, um, what I've found in traveling is no matter where you go, you have audiences that want to connect with mm. a performer. And because this is a pretty unusual show because it's speaking directly out to the audience, but it's not, I'm not trying to be meta. Like that's all part of the performance. And, you know, in stand up, we're, we're used to someone speaking to the audience and solo shows. Sometimes we speak directly to the audience. So, uh, I think like m- making a really strong connection to the audience and treating them like unique intelligent uh individuals mm-hmm. is really important and that's the thing that I think um has given me the most success uh is like making sure when I'm in the room I'm fully present mm-hmm. to uh the, the people that are there. I did this show in in Omaha at a really strange venue um it was during the um omaha improv festival they had um one of the venues was at this really crazy candy store called hollywood candy uh-huh. and in uh omaha they have a lot of like antique stores sort of in like kitschy like crazy junk stores and so this store is kind of like a mishmash of both mm-hmm. and in this um candy store they had this little theater um that was like maybe like 40 seats and when it was sort of weird uh because no one from the festival was able to be there to be like hey guys there's a show starting so it was just like people wandering, like, in and out of this tiny movie theater oh. that had no real theatrical lighting.
1: That's so bizarre. It's really <laughs> bizarre. So, <laughs> so, uh,
2: so, it was, so we kind of, like, ushered people in a little bit. Um, but when I did Pepita, I was kind of, like, you know, able to, like, talk directly to people and be like, hey, there's a comedy show, you know, whatever. But um, there was this girl in the audience who must have been, like, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And she was sitting cross-legged in the front row. And I was like, I'm just gonna do this show for her, and um, like, it, I'm just gonna make sure she has a good time. That's amazing. <laughs> and it was awesome. She was so great, and she she gave the suggestion, which was dentist. Mm-hmm. And um, I just uh, there was just this like chemistry between Pepita and this little girl, and I kept kind of like referring back to her. Like at one point, I was like, by the end of this show, diarrhea is going to rain from the ceiling. <laughs> and I, like, pointed at her emphatically.
0: <laughs> and she was like, whoa!
2: <laughs> uh, but it, it was really cool. It was really special. I mean, I think um, one of the things that I strive to do when I do an improv show is to turn people, you know, like have them be like i want to do that i want to do improv oh that's interesting And i think for that girl like maybe that was it for her you know maybe she was like i i think i want to do this i think i can do this yeah that's like a really magical thing
0: i saw
1: a show um uh about a month ago where um this kid this like gangly awkward looking kid he's probably like 11 years old came in with who i assume were his grandparents Uh and um uh I ended up, like, watching the three of them watching the show, and there were these moments where, like, the show got, like, a little bit dirty sometimes, but never passed the line that, like, they couldn't all laugh about it together. Yeah. And there was something so exciting about seeing this kind of, like, comfortable space where, like, you and your grandparents can both be having a good time, but also seeing of, like, all right, this kid is very... He looks like an 11-year-old who's about to go through a pretty horrible adolescence. Yeah, that's the worst. It's horrible. Um, and you just kind of, like, I get this a like, great feeling of, like, uh, but, like, when you're at that phase of your life to know that something is out there like that, that is also a bunch of weirdos who can kind of open oh themselves God. up to play. It it just it made me feel so good to see that the kid was there to see this good show, you know?
2: That's, uh, that's the most beautiful thing is, like, realizing there are things that are there for you. I mean, that's, that's why I'm, I am so passionate about that. The teen program. Yeah. At the magnet. Like, and why I love teaching those classes. Cause it's like some, I, I felt I, I had a really hard time in high school. I really didn't like it. Um, I always felt like I wasn't surrounded by, by my people. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the, you know, I, people that i was that i could have gotten along with for some reason it just like never clicked yeah and um you know outside of school i you know i went to summer camp at this really great camp called bucks rock um a lot of really cool people went there like becky drysdale went there Mm -hmm. she's a richard key and peel amazing
1: improviser amazing yeah
2: um and uh i I did improv and sketch comedy at this camp, and I felt like I f- have found my people. Yeah. And um, as a teenager, that was really important to me, like to have this understanding of like, well, you know, I I know that there is a place for me in this world, and there are people for me in this world, and um, it it gave me a sense of hope. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Well,
1: th- it's also like um. Uh, kind of like a strength in numbers idea, you know, um, that, you know, that when there are other like-minded people out there, there's just a little bit more permission for you to um, not feel like you're oddly shaped, if that makes sense. yeah. You know?
2: Well, yeah. And I, I think that um, doing improv for years and being surrounded by other improvisers uh, improvisers has, has made me a very, uh, confident, bold, brave person. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're constantly putting yourself out there. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, you, you, you have to stand in front of people and do stuff. I have no fear of that at all.
0: Yeah.
2: And now, you know, it's, 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 um, it you know, you just keep working that muscle of, of putting yourself out there becomes second nature.
1: Yeah. Let's talk for a second about the teen program, because you run the teen classes at Magnum. Yes. Which, and you and I have talked about this in the past, uh, I find one of the scariest things I can think of, being in a room by myself with a bunch of teenagers, trying to teach them improv, to me, is just like I get crippling anxiety thinking about that <laughs> well
2: uh, there yeah i mean when, whenever in your room in a room you're like worried about them judging you like sure. any kind of, kind of students
1: y- yeah of course yeah uh, yeah i I don't know i've like i don't really care too much about other adults judging me when i'm taking the <laughs> class but teenagers still like <laughs> you just feel like you're 14 again and uh, you know what um what are you like imparting to them? Because you do a great job with the class and, and uh, um, so like, what, what is your method? What's your philosophy? What are you, what's the purpose for you other than just teaching them good, solid play?
2: Well, a big thing is, is support each other. Um, Let's, uh, let's make each other uh, look good. Um, Improv isn't about fighting. It's about, you know, advancing each other's ideas. I mean, just the idea of yes and in general, I think is so important. And there's, um, when you're in like a, a friend circle of teens, there isn't always a lot of yes anding that's happening. People, mm. there's a lot of one-upmanship. And I think, um, I try to get across the idea that it isn't about one-upping each other. It's about like, like doing it with each other, you yeah. know, yeah. um, yeah. So that's really big, and um, one thing that I really like to do uh, with my teen students is take them to the theater because mm-hmm. um, uh, that's it's great for them to see improv, um, and it's great that for them to be amongst peers watching improv. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to go there with their grandparents or their parents, and then they can kind of talk about it after and have their like own kind of breakdown of what they liked and what they didn't like. I think. Developing their eye for comedy is really important.
1: Do you find that it makes the lessons easier when you're imparting them?
2: Oh, yeah. Because then you can be like, uh, remember when the wrath did this. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone can make it at the theater every week. But I think those that do um, get a sense of ownership over their own work. Yeah. Because they're like, I'm, you know, I'm I'm becoming a, a connoisseur of, of comedy. Right.
1: Yeah. That's another thing that's like really exciting uh, all throughout your life. But when you're younger, especially those, those years developing a sense of taste and developing a sense of discrimination for this I think is really great and this I think is subpar and being able to articulate why you feel that way just gives you a sense of like um uh pleasure in your own intelligence and also kind of a control over you get to start to choose your pleasures a little bit
2: yeah I really like to bring them uh I bring them to the rundown a lot because uh that's I typically teach on Saturday afternoons, yeah. so we'll we'll have class. We'll go to Panera, and then we'll we'll go to the rundown. And the rundown, um, you really get a smattering of of teams. Some are they're all indie teams. So some are um, less advanced. Some are more advanced. And I like to just be like, "Who is your favorite?" And um, I like that they all have different opinions about it. You know, I think that's, I think that's good and important. And I really, you know, I I try to kind of do a soft, like they were my favorite, you know, but I don't want anyone to have to feel like they have to agree with me. Right. You know?
1: Yeah. I like for me, what you like is never nearly as important as being able to, express why you like it yeah you know it's it's that process of really kind of looking specifically at what you're seeing like it doesn't make a difference to me if you love the show that i hate or you hate the show that i love or whatever it's more the thing of can you can you look closely at it and not just have like i don't like it i like it yeah. you know but be able to kind of say of like well these things are happening it's just a question of like seeing specifically that i think is a really healthy mental place to yeah, be yeah
2: and you know i think this just demonstrates that whole idea of like there are not being a very a, a clear right and wrong about things yeah. and um i think in improv that's really important um you know to to show that there are multiple ways of of doing a scene of viewing a scene of um taking your character in a different direction and uh i think what's it's really important to kind of like take that philosophy and pair that with um With your method of teaching, Mm -hmm. Um, there needs to be a looseness to your teaching, a fluidity, a a sense of softness, a sense of uh, that there are options. Yeah, Um, especially when you're working with um, uh, beginning groups. Yeah, you know, the more advanced you become, um, maybe you're 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 trying to achieve something a little bit more precise or polished. Mm -hmm. Um, But that. That's because you guys have an a agreed upon aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like we wanna be doing um patterns that operate in this specific way. We wanna be heightening in this specific way together. But that doesn't that's not important in your uh, first learning.
1: Right. Uh and sometimes like newer newer groups can sort of um try to take a backwards approach to that because you look at more established groups and you kind of see the more advanced stuff that they're doing and you want to imitate the results rather than the process that led to the results.
0: Yeah.
2: God. I I mean, uh, I think that's always a problem for everyone. Like you always see another group and, or another performer and you're like, I want to be like that person or I want to perform like them. Like, why doesn't my group do this? And, um, you know, it's like, it's like a grass is always greener type scenario. And as long as we can channel that in like a healthy way and think like, Oh, how can I apply? kind of what they're doing in my work. Yeah. It's going to be good, but you're never going to be someone else, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, um, I want to go back for a second to, to what you were saying about having developed a sense of confidence and, like like inability to speak to people and, and yes, you know um, uh, because the way that you play um, is really interesting. You managed to coordinate uh, um, a lot of different things all at once and make it seem really effortless. But actually it's, it's, you pull off something really amazing because you're adept at, at making really strong, energetic, uh, kind of a larger than life, exaggerated physical moves and larger than life characters and really playful characters that have, uh, um, like there can be almost sort of like a cartoon like energy in my mind, in the sense of like, Oh, the strong primary colors to these characters, there's Uh a brightness, but at the same time, you're amazing at being really open and vulnerable and honest. And you find this incredible honesty through this like enormous confidence. I'm like curious what you're thinking is about your own performances. Like what, I guess, yeah, let's, that's the question. It's a vague question.
2: Well, Uh, vulnerability is a really big part of my life. Um, it's a big part of my art. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was a really, um, overdramatic child. Yeah. Um, I cried a lot. I was hurt a lot. Um, I always felt like I was teased or left behind. Um, and, um uh at a certain point, I kind of, kind of like, I guess I've started to realize that unless I can like use that for my advantage and, and like kind of laugh at that and see how, you know, a lot of the, the things that I was upset about aren't that big of a deal or, or, or not that important, like. The more healthy I'll be, and like it is, it, it is, it is like funny, and it's ridiculous sometimes how upset we can get about something that's really petty. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I use a lot of that in my work now, um, because I I am those people. Yeah, <laughs> I am those characters. Yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, a, about a year. Or so ago, I um I auditioned for the reboot of Whose Line Is It Anyway,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um there's that that singing game. It's the,
0: like the uh, hoedown. The hoedown. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. The hoedown. And I could not. I I tried to practice the hoedown. I couldn't get the hoedown down. Yeah. <laughs> I was just terrible at it. Um, and I built up so much anxiety about it that one day I was um. I was in my apartment that, you know, I was trying to practice the hoedown and I just like lay down, like face down on my couch. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) why can't like, why can I get this? Like, I like how am I now in a position to audition for the most famous improv show? And I'm not prepared to do the hoedown. Like this, this is my undoing, and I was. <laughs> um, so I, so I moaned, "Oh my god!" And um, my 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 boyfriend Brian Franchi, who does improv, um, he was like, he just started laughing. He was like, "I can't, I can't believe you are taking this this hard."
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> like he was like, "You gotta, you gotta chill out." Yeah. but I was just, I was beside myself. And now, like I look at it, and it's like it's such a ridiculous thing to be. I was, I was, I, I was weeping. I was weeping about the hoedown. <laughs> that's like a terrible. That's a terrible place to drive yourself. Sure. To you know, <laughs> and and so like I, I like to think like all of my characters have that sort of chip in the in their shoulder, like like something or like chinking their arm or whatever, like that. That um, that vulnerability that they just, like, can't deal with.
1: Yeah. You know? Is that, when you're playing scenes, is that something that you're consciously looking for in the scene? Are you looking for the opportunities to be really personally affected? Or is it something that you just sort of intuitively feel?
2: I think that's something that might be a, a bit intuitive.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. But... I, I think that's something that kind of start, has started to just come naturally to me. Yeah. But um, I do do a lot of um, coaching or teaching kind of around this stuff. So I think I've started to, like, isolate what what interests me about it and how, how it's learnable.
1: Yeah. How do you go about bringing people to have that experience?
2: Well, um, I like to do exercises that are kind of based on wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, one exercise that I do is, like, um, you know, pick something random that, that your character wants. It can be something really, like, important, like, I want you to marry me, or, um, or, like, I want to cop, I want to borrow your copy of Labyrinth on DVD. (laughs) Like, it could be anything at all. Uh, but the important thing is that you really want that thing. For whatever reason, it fills some sort of hole in your heart, <laughs> um, and uh, the other character in the scene is going to sort of say no. They're going to they're they're not going to say yes to this thing, and and you really have to demonstrate your your want mm-hmm. um, and um, allow it to you, as the scene goes on. Allow it to like really cripple you, like let it let let it physically affect you that 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 sadness that desire that um that sense of need um one thing that i'm really into is um the idea of emotions living in your body and not mm-hmm. your brain um and uh like it living in your gut and i think like you know it's like when we when we really feel bad we feel ill we feel really sick um and letting that translate into emotions and improv and how we demonstrate emotion is really important. Like there's a really big difference between like, I am sad and like really showing through your body that you're sad, your physicality. Mm -hmm. And, um, by kind of locating that in the gut, we can really start to transform the body.
1: Do you, when you play or when you coach, well, let me start with when you play, do you, um, and this is maybe even a really ridiculous question. When something affects you, do you lead with your body first in order to kind of channel that emotion? Or do you sort of have a feeling uh, initially of like, this is how I feel. And then your body follows the feeling. If, does that even make sense?
2: Um, I think that, um, I don't know. I think they, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you do when you see people who seem to be kind of locking it down or holding it back?
2: I guess, you know, what I, I guess I will say this. I'll say, st- I, I guess I start with my body and then, uh, bring the, be- and then, and then become verbal. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I, I think that that would be like more of my, more of my method. Yeah. Um, but not for all, not for that isn't exclusive. That yeah. isn't always what happens. Because um, I think that I, I also really like to play very practical characters. I think that that can be really interesting as well.
1: Can you amplify on that?
2: <laughs> so um, a couple weeks ago, I played, I was playing a teacher mm-hmm. at um in a featherweight show um, where I was trying to get uh, a student played by Blake Merriman uh, to take a part. a a lego castle Mm -hmm. and i was like you need to take this apart uh it needs to happen now (laughs) and um my character was like kind of irritated with this student and um i think that she was you know she's like very practical she was pretty stiff um but um but she still had an like this rumbling sort of emotion Mm -hmm. in her of like um, i'm I'm furious at you yeah. you know you need to get this done yeah you know? I, I don't know
1: well it sounds like uh um uh this sort of like receptiveness to your own emotional life when you're playing seems to be really strongly tied in with um just this sort of like almost obsessive quality of knowing exactly what you want in a scene whether it's you know i need yeah, i the think thoughts and
2: emotions are really tied into each other i think that the, the worst you know i'm re- i'm I'm really into emotion and scenes, yeah. but I'm not into um your fake crying.
1: Right.
2: You know, yeah. uh, like or, or or like sudden turns that are not justified.
1: What's the difference for you?
2: Uh I think like you know, it has it has to do with like a real a real commitment. Mm-hmm. Um I think that scene in, in scenes or are, are characters don't turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. Um I uh, I think Emotions need to come from an authentic and genuine place. Um, I think that emotions can change, but there's probably an arc to it. So we need to play that arc in a in an authentic way. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just like how I don't like people playing. <sighs> I'm making this connection, but maybe people, other people, won't like. I don't like people playing kids who are whiny and they walk around on their knees right oh like, yeah you know right. like like play your character in an authentic way like yeah. be, stand up and be a kid who is really upset about something yeah you know
1: i that drives me crazy a just because of the sense of fakeness to it and 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 that feeling of like I almost become a little bit resentful that it's like, oh, this will get a laugh. I'm on my knees. And it's like, mm, try, like try a little harder. But also like...
2: <clears throat> or like, mommy, mommy, I want candy. Right. Like, <laughs> I hate... <laughs> I don't, don't want to see that. Like, it's it's more specific than that. Well, like, it, kids are really intelligent. Or,
1: for sure. Yeah. It demeans kids. And I remember being, I don't know, three or four or well, something. It
2: demeans kids. Or... Adults don't want to be reminded that those kids are around. So play a more interesting kid. Sure.
1: Yeah. I'm sure that there are stupid kids out there as there there are are stupid adults out there too. But like, (laughs) there's also a lot of kids who are aware of the fact that they're kids, but kind of resent it. Yeah. They're sort of aware of the fact that like, I don't know enough just yet, but I know that I don't know it. And it's a little bit frustrating and, and kids have those exact same sort of obsessive wants and goals that adults do. They just don't have enough information yet to kind of like orient them in like the larger world as it is. Yeah. And so like when you see kids reduced down to something that's idiotic, it's just like frustrating. And like, I don't know. I get annoyed on behalf of kids.
2: Yeah. I get annoyed on behalf of parents also. It's like, I mean, a lot of people are raising kids in a great way. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Like there are a lot of like, you know, there are lots of different ways to talk to kids also. I mean, um,
1: well, it's also like you see people sometimes play kids and you get the feeling of like, I don't think you ever watch kids. Yeah. I don't think you ever observe them or know anything about how they behave. You just have this kind of like, two-dimensional idea of like here's a shortcut to a kid that's actually that's what bothers me is the shortcut Short, too. that's
2: it. exactly it and that's why it's like like i like i'm not interested in your sudden fake crying right like it's it's a shortcut right you gotta play that arc you gotta uh you gotta you gotta really be patient with it you gotta yeah. play it there's gotta be authentic meaning behind it authentic is like the word that i'm really into right now
1: yeah It's a good word. And well, because when you're playing authentic, it puts you in a place where when you are affected and when you are open suddenly and have this emotional shift, there's a specific cause to that shift and everybody has witnessed that cause. And so we're not only seeing you emote, we're getting an insight into the inner workings of this person. We're getting an insight into this person's sets of values and their sense of ego and identity and yeah. and and their hopes and their anxieties. You know what I'm
2: really also into right now? Yeah. My other catchphrase um is play the tension, not the conflict.
1: Can you amplify that? I yeah. love that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um so let's say so let's say you have a scene where there is like an inherent conflict to mm-hmm. it. Um like uh uh like I was doing this, I was watching, uh, some of my students were doing a scene this summer about, like, one person was like, okay, we have to get ready for church, we have to go. And the other was like, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go there. <laughs> and rather than, it was it was a, a phenomenal scene, because rather than yelling at each other, mm-hmm. the um, and making it a conflict between the two of them, it was like, I... The problem isn't with you. The problem is with church. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to go to church. I'm going to do something else this morning. Um, and so it allowed these two characters with these two different wants to I want to go to church. I want to stay here. You know, to that tension built. So it wasn't a, a fight with each other. It was a um, the character that didn't want to go to church was just plowing her stake deeper and deeper into the ground. Mm-hmm. About not wanting to go and all the reasons why she didn't want to go and why it was so vital to her that she stay at home, Yeah. you know, and um, and so if 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 like she's plowing her stake into the ground and the other one's plowing her stake into the ground and they're plowing them at like this angle, that tension between them is like getting more and more. Uh, getting tighter and tighter, yeah. you know. So they're not yelling at each other; they're re- yelling about the thing. Yeah, like what is the thing yeah. that 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 your character cares about?
1: Which again goes right back into like specific cause and effect. Yeah, and gives you insight into that person. What's great about that too is like,
2: and it can't be resolved right away. Right, like we don't want to see conflicts resolved.
1: The only way uh, uh, past it is through it. Yeah, when, when you're playing that conflict, where what you're describing is like, all right, it's between us there's a pretty good chance that those two people are never going to move over the course of the entire scene. It's just like blaming each other and trying to coerce the other person to give you something. Yeah.
2: yeah, You're not going to convince anyone, but you can tell them why it's so important to you.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also like, what's so great about that is so without ever changing that deal that you don't want to go to church, you can, uh, get dressed to go to church you can drive to the church, you can be at the mass, <laughs> yeah, you can be in the car being... home, and then you can be home and it's like six o'clock on a Sunday or whenever your church is done without ever losing that you didn't want to be there. didn't
0: like it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you never have to change your thing, but yeah. action is possible. And if you act on the thing that you don't want to be acting on, there's also the likelihood for like um self discovery there
2: yeah, you'll find out more about the characters, yeah, so like in the scene with Blake uh with the Lego castle, like it came out um i loved I loved playing that character, probably she was a teacher, and I just left a job at a school, so I was like feeling all of this like like, yes, I'm not gonna have to go back to this yeah. school, <laughs> um so i uh let talk about that, but um <laughs> Uh, we found out that this this woman was only a teacher because she made a safe choice to go into a specific career. She didn't really like children. She believed it was ridiculous to be in education because uh, you end up surrounded by people who are less intelligent than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, which is like pretty crazy. Yeah. So, like by by trying to, why I playing the tension of of that wanting him to. Bring, take down that castle so badly like I, I was able to kind of and him resisting I was able to find out more about who my character was yeah. um, and it it was really fun Um,
1: well that's sort of the exciting part isn't it uh, when you're playing when that that realization that like I don't know everything about this character that I've created but I'll learn more as I go yeah. if I just continue moving into it's it it's not
2: about winning the scene right It's about finding out more about your character. Yeah. Um, That's a phrase I say all the time. Another thing that I'm really into right now... (laughs) um, I just got off a month of teaching every day. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, like, really in the zone. But um, uh, is not treating each other badly as characters. Yeah. One of my pet peeves is a scene where someone's, like, um, like... Oh, nice shirt, but mine's better than yours. Right, yeah. And I just don't believe people... I guess people do that, but shitty people do that. Yeah. And I'm not interested in those people. They make me really uncomfortable. Yeah. And they make the audience really uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it immediately seems like one improviser shitting on another improviser. Right. And um, so I'm always pushing people away away from that i'm like let's not just be bitchy for bitchiness sake like because it's sort of like a denial of your own thing right right away it's like i like your shirt but i don't like your shirt Mm -hmm. it's like well which is it like what what reality are we playing here um and i think that a lot of um a lot of newer improvisers do that um or younger improvisers do that teenagers do that to each other all the time in real life Mm -hmm. Like that I want to kind of drive them away, and I think one of the things I believe is that, and I've said this to my students is that I feel like my best days as as an improviser are my best days as a person, mm-hmm. and vice versa, like you're you're treating each other with real like with with a real sense of respect, you're really listening to each other, you're giving each other generous offers you're um you're really emotionally open to each other. Um, and you're, you're building something together. Those are, those are good life things and they're good improv things. Yeah. let's not just be shitty to each other all the time. Yeah.
1: Well, there's also like, um, uh, the sense that it's like, even though I'm making self centered choices so that I have things of my own to play, so I'm not just stranded out on a stage doing nothing or waiting for inspiration to happen, um, those are sort of pragmatic choices that I'm making so that i remain involved. Then a lot of the rest of it is just kind of being available and attentive to the needs of the people around me. You know, like, yeah. like playing a show that you're directing to a seven year old girl in the front row of an audience that in a sense, like, because I'm doing it for you and not entirely for me it sort of frees you up to use the best parts of yourself because you're not using that shitty asshole part of yourself. That's just trying to impress everybody. You're, you're, you're really using everything that's available to you in order to make this a wonderful experience for the people that you're with.
2: Yeah. And you know, I have to say like, no, knowing your audience is really, really important. Um, I've done a lot of shows for a lot of different populations. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we did a show this summer for um, uh, a community of Orthodox Jews. An amazing show. It was great. It was really fun. Yeah. Uh, up in the Catskills. And it was like, know your audience. Let's let's keep it appropriate. Yeah. And uh, knowing that there are teenagers in the audience and they're Hungarian grandparents. Right. <laughs> like, there's no reason to make people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that um it's necessary to kind of like stir the pot for for all for all audiences. Likewise, I do shows for just high schoolers. I've done corporate shows. I do shows at the Magnet. It's going to be different. And I think like um having having a sense of who you're serving is important and it doesn't have to devalue the art. Right. Like that in those limitations are going to make it Are going to get make it better because you're you're hyper focused on what um where what the boundaries are to draw inside, right? So you're going to do your best drawing inside of those boundaries, totally.
1: Yeah, uh, um, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, um, um. And like, when I see stuff, you don't see it too often, but every now and again, you see something that is like meant to be confrontational or meant to be like challenging to you in some way. And it almost always leaves me feeling, it just leaves like a distasteful sense to me. Um, and a lot of times it also has that sort of shortcut or lazy quality to it too, where it's like, oh, it's easy to get a rise out of you. It's easy to get an effect or to create this effect by, um, making you uncomfortable and making you squirm and kind of rub your nose in this stuff that I'm doing right now. That's like weird or upsetting for me. Like it's a much bigger challenge to do something that feels safe. It has that appropriate distance. So an audience <laughs> feels taken care Let's of. just
2: all do safe work guys. Well, like, <laughs> yeah, but you but know, I you know what I mean do. by I that? Do. Like yeah. it,
1: it, you don't want to f- leave the audience feeling threatened or violated in some way. And yeah. that being said, like you can play a safe, that uh, play a show that leaves people feeling safe, that still moves them and, and makes them have to experience certain feelings that maybe aren't the most comfortable feelings in the I world. I think
2: that there's something to be said about giving people a joyful experience. Yeah. And I think it's rare. It's a rare and beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think that um, there's much out there that's just joyful. So I think like, that is uh subversive yeah you know yeah <laughs> like uh, like maybe that's crazy yeah but um it's just not it's, it's just not out there you know
1: that's uh, um anymore i can't say how much i love that idea of the subversiveness of creating a joyful, <laughs> joyful experience for people, experience. right like
2: i um i went to this really amazing beautiful crazy wedding yeah um last year, i I think I told you about it, it was like a piece of performance art. Uh, it was at Judson Memorial Church, which is um, just south of Washington Square Park, and mm-hmm. it's it's a really beautiful venue, and a lot of um, activism has occurred there, like uh, Theater of the Oppressed NYC is there. And... There's
1: a really interesting theatrical history at that space. Yeah,
2: there is. Yeah. So, anyway, so they... Um, when you got to... When you got to the wedding, um, you were to you had to like write down um, different things on cards, yeah. and they were like, "I believe the universe is," "I believe love is," and all of those things. And then uh, you gave them the cards, and then the cards disappeared. And then you had to go up to the next level, and there were laptops set up. This is a wedding; mm. <laughs> there were laptops set up, and um, you had to. This is my friend Sophie in a minute and John Leo's wedding? They're amazing people. Just, I'm gonna plug them as Look individuals. Plug away, you gotta do it. Not that they're listening. Sure. Anyway, um, so uh, there, so there were laptops set up, and you had to take a quiz for what your profession was gonna be on the new planet. Hmm. <laughs> and then, um, so like, I was like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, whatever. I got a profession where I had to like just go up to people and have conversations, and then I like would give them a wood chip. When they like shared something
0: with me, <laughs>
2: and there were people that were healers, and then there were people who were organizing the cards that we had filled out, and then there was a, uh, a space launch where we all like launched into space.
1: It's amazing.
2: And uh, there were um, there were two uh, two men that uh, officiated the ceremony, and one was an Episcopal priest, and the other was his uh, his husband at who was this guy who was a professor at Bard who um, raised all these chihuahuas mm. <laughs> and had given John, the groom, um, his chihuahua, Pinochle, and Pinochle changed John's life. It was amazing. And John wore the wedding dress, and Sophie wore, like, a crazy David Bowie outfit. It was, like, the most amazing, joyful thing. And it was, like, not ironic at all, yeah. not dark. It was it was beautiful and a gift. And it was so strange. And, um, and it wasn't, it was like pushing the, the boundaries on our expectations, but it was always pushing us in, in a way that was like, um, unexpected and, and beautiful and a communal. Yeah. And, um, it, it was an amazing event. Yeah. It was, it will, I remember I was standing there. Uh, like in this crowd of people before the launch, and I was like, I am so filled with anticipation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. And it, I think if we can do that in improv, like that is that's beautiful. Yeah. Like w- like, why would we go around saying the c word? Right. You know, what's the point of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I. I <laughs> um. What's so great about that is like. Hey, how many times in your adult life do you get to feel that sense of anticipation?
2: It rarely, unless you surround yourself with really creative, awesome, beautiful people, which you should. Yeah. You
1: that, know? That's also like, I don't know. I still get that sense when I get into like an empty theater, like right before a show. I don't know if you feel this way, but like when I was a little kid, I remember like waiting for the movie to start and like the previews just come on and you just have this like incredible sense of like something wonderful is about to occur. And you yeah. get like this, like... Tingle on your skin, you know, I still get (laughs) that
2: settle back and get into this. Right.
1: Yeah. I like, I don't know the, the 1989 Batman. uh, I just remember like the credits to that starting and having like a new feeling. Which
2: Batman was that? The
1: Tim Burton one with Michael Keaton. Okay. Yeah. Arguable that it holds up. But like, I remember like having a new feeling. I'm feeling something I don't think I've ever felt before. And just like that, like incredible excitement of like, not only stimulation, but this feeling of like, oh, there's more, there's more to experience that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, 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 the world is a bigger place than what I know of it right now. And you can approach it from the spirit of like friendliness have, and joyfulness. Have you
2: seen boyhood? No. Oh, you have to see it. Okay. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. Um, I felt that feeling sort of at the, at the end of that movie, you should see it. It's. Everyone should see Boyhood. I'm plugging Boyhood. <laughs> um,
0: uh,
2: uh, like, the, at the end of it, there's this sort of sense of, like, the world is, like, expansive and full of possibilities, and you choose your own path. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I saw the, the, that movie this summer, and I was like, movie ended, and I was like, thank God I'm not going back to my day job. Yeah. And I am just kind of a free person doing improv and creating my my own life now because I I feel like I do feel like a sense of hope. I think that we just need to create opportunities for hope. This is so lovey-dovey. I I believe it, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's lovey-dovey, but at the same time, um, one thing about like you as a performer in particular uh, uh, is – you don't just create, like you don't ignore the darker side of no. things. It, there's a lot of pain in your characters and, and you don't shy away from pain in shows, but you do this amazing thing where where you play in a way that's heightened and theatrical and larger than life and at the same time, absolutely truthful and realistic. And so when your characters are in pain or or A, you don't shy away from taking the less funny choice to favor like what your character is really feeling or what the moment's really calling for. But B it has this incredible thing of, instead of like leaving people feeling down about it with something to think about it, it, that pain sort of elevates into this kind of transformative experience where you walk away from a show having undergone, having followed your characters, you know, through these experiences and undergone these highs and lows and you walk away feeling lighter and happier and that's amazing
2: that's good thank you i i i mean I think that i um i think it's really important to feel a range of emotions i think that you f- feel um, you f- you feel the happiness more when you can also feel sadness yeah i mean you can appreciate it uh i don't I don't, I'm not advocating, um, you know, you know, that people, it's better to feel extremes. I am not, um, I'm like fortunate in that I'm not, um, manic depressive, Mm -hmm. but I think that, um, I under, I, I can understand elements of that because I'm. I think I've bordered (laughs) on it, on it sometimes, you know, I, I I think it's help. I think it's, um, I think being a a moody person, a vulnerable person, an emotional person, um, you know, is, is, is helpful. It's interesting, like working with, um, students who, uh, have issues expressing their emotions for various reasons. Um, and uh, seeing them like wanting to kind of break through that, and um, it's a it can be a struggle for people, yeah, because they've been conditioned out of it. Uh, and I, I mean, I feel like I was almost conditioned out of it. Yeah, I mean, there were so many times where people, I felt like my parents always were calling me overdramatic, and I think that was, I think it was really hard for them. Yeah. that I cried a lot. It was hard.
1: I can imagine. It sucks yeah. when you
2: have a, a a kid that's that's um really sensitive. Yeah. I
1: <laughs> I was the opposite of that in a lot of ways. I it, it it far from being like extreme on either side of the emotional range. I would get very quiet and Well, internal. you would
2: like sit in closets as a kid. Yeah, right? I
1: loved I loved hiding. I love like <laughs> I love disappearing and being in small spaces. I remember one I, time
2: I hid in my closet and i got locked in really and i like had to like bang and my mom got me out of there
1: did you panic yeah i would have loved it
2: (laughs) well i was like locked in yeah i would have loved it okay
1: i would to me it would have been like i'll live
2: my life here
1: it would have just been this sort of i don't know this mystery of like maybe something wonderful happens in dark closets when people aren't around i don't know that was like the way i thought about stuff i
2: always really wanted there to be like a Line, the witch in the wardrobe situation.
1: Oh, yeah. Did you go looking for that stuff? Yeah. Me too. I was always like trying out different combinations of like, well, if maybe if I hold this rock and this crystal and <laughs> like go here, maybe it'll happen now. It's like, there's gotta be some sort of science to it, you know? But like, it, it, so I didn't have the same kind of like extremity of feeling, but I did that thing of like quiet and not showing your feelings.
2: That's hard for me <laughs> well it
1: it like it creates attention and and
2: yes. well that that's what makes you a really interesting player
1: well, thanks
2: you're very like there's something that's very contained and brewing
1: it i think everything gets your, filtered your up work. into my brain and yeah. I, like i don't well you're
2: you're the the most uh verbally adept improviser, I well, know.
1: thanks. I, yeah, I I I think Justin Moran probably beats me to that punch, but thanks. Yeah, well,
2: he's got a he's different, really he's good. got something else going on. Yeah. That's, he's got a weird dork brain.
1: Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> but like, it, it, the point I'm trying to make is that like, there's a tension that builds up with, with that, that there's a point where either that tension kind of turns in and I imagine becomes something that's sort of destructive for the rest of your life or becomes like a, problem that you have in relating to other people
2: yeah well that's why it's good to have improv so it's like a filter it's a way to
1: totally
0: i
2: think that it can be very therapeutic yeah um and um when i when i do classes about you know with a focus about vulnerability i try and push people there and for some people it's like the first time that they've ever you know gone there i I, i'm not really i I, i'm not a i don't want to people to feel like i'm like trying to get them to cry right. but if it happens like i want them to feel like like that's that's good it's this is productive sa- yeah. and and we're not we're not trying to i'm not a therapist yeah uh we're not trying to i'm not trying to push you to confess your your trauma yeah but hopefully push push you as a performer in that in the direction of being open
1: well with that safety again it's like it's creating the space where where We're okay. And you're okay. Uh, You're not being pushed into exposing something that you're uncomfortable with, but you're not also being pulled away from leaving the area of what's really funny to the area of what's authentic. And there's something, uh, um, so valuable about having a teacher and being surrounded by other performers who celebrate your authenticity. Yeah. Because then it, 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 be, again, it's like, it becomes like transformative. It becomes what you have inside of you now is sort of the kind of like current of those rivers are being redirected to kind of like fertilize, you know what I mean? Like, uh, the fields, I don't know anything about farming, but like, that's the <laughs> metaphor. It's like, it's not just like a stream that you're embarrassed about. It's something that now has like a productive value to it. You're using it for creative purposes.
2: Yeah. I mean like in that the show where I was playing that kind of angry teacher I think I like channeled something that was true in myself about you know like I worked at a school for 7 years and there was a lot of built up resentment about that that I had chosen a path that was like like really safe and um I knew like I could have make money and have benefits and um but I I was really upset about it it made me I didn't feel like I was like living up to my potential or being or my skills were being utilized. Yeah. And um, as that teacher character, it all kind of came out through that in a very like heightened way and I said things that I don't necessarily like believe or maybe in the corner of my brain I believe but um I, it felt so good. Yeah. to take that rage and and channel it through this character and really have fun with it. Yeah.
1: Well that's isn't that great like with the function that that character serves is like you're pulling on something that at first is true for you or something that you really know but about. But then you
2: can just play. You don't yeah. have to – that's the thing. Like st- you can start with truth and then, you know, um, a- a- like allow it to uh, take on a life of its own. Yeah. Um, you know, one one thing I like to do just to break up the monotony of warm-up scenes is like, you know, start with uh, – start a scene, initiate a scene with a, something that you actually saw or heard today, and then allow the scene to take a totally different direction, but start with something real and then see what happens. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It, it, that process of starting from real and ending up in play, you just like, you lighten up, you yeah. begin oh, to take yourself less seriously. I
2: love the, um. you did a, wasn't you. Probably not. <laughs> Maybe you did. Uh, someone did a, Oh, warm up with featherweight recently. Maybe it was Mike Dwyer, where you start off telling a true story mm. in the center of a circle, and then people tag in to continue the story oh, so that interesting. It takes on a fictional direction. That was
1: not me. That's very interesting. Oh, it
2: was so so much fun. Yeah, especially since it's like you know it's a group where we all know each other, um, so you can mangle details from each other's yeah. life and take it in a totally absurd direction
1: yeah oh that's awesome um, and
2: also like that sense of that shared ownership yeah like i'm gonna put this beginning of a story true story out there and then just let it fly away in the breeze it's not precious yeah um i think the idea of ideas not being too precious is super important
1: ilana fishpine thank you for talking
2: oh my god that would that Thank you. Uh,
1: (laughs) This has been uh, the Magnet Theatre Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, uh, Big thanks, as always, to Grant Goldberg, our engineer, to Ilana Fishbein for... being just delightful in every way and, and joining us today uh, uh i'm lewis cornfield thanks as always for listening i really appreciate it as do we all here at the magnet uh magnet um, magnettheater.com is our website for you to go to and find out more about who we are and what we do uh, uh hey thanks everybody have a great uh whatever you're doing just like do it well man have fun all right bye thank you bye you've been listening to the magnet podcast